0: Welcome to episode 28 of The Book Cougars, Two Middle-Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. Nice to be with you today, Chris. It's a gorgeous fall day here. Well, yeah. it's, technically it's not fall, is it?
1: It's, it's still summer, it's but not. it feels like it. Yeah. Although it is a bit muggy.
0: It's, it's hot today and Chris and I, for the first time, we've known each other over two years and for the first time we actually paddled together yesterday, oh, which yeah. was so nice. It's a glorious day. Yeah. It's been great weather. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we went out to a little cove and toodled around. Yeah, it was fun. So I feel like I've seen you recently, which is <laughs> nice because lately we've only been seeing each other to record, it seems yeah, like. So. Exactly. It's nice to get back in the swing of... School season that's right yes it's been an eventful week in my life because my son Jacob just took a full-time job up at Sterling College up in Vermont so he pulled out of my driveway on Sunday with a car packed and actually I'm as I look at Chris over her head is my built-in bookcase and he pillaged my bookcase and took all of his books that's awesome. which yeah. was really exciting for me because now <laughs> I have space to put more books but it was also funny because I what he was doing was just putting them on the floor. <laughs> And I was watching, and I was like, oh, some of those aren't your books, you know? And I didn't really object because if they were books I had read, but he did take my Colin McCann books and put them in his pile because he loves Colin McCann also. And then it turns out he couldn't fit the boxes of books in his car, so I have now put the Colin oh, McCann okay. books back on my shelves. I was going to say, Jacob,
1: watch out because when she comes to visit,
0: you better check your bookshelves after she leaves. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But we'll see. I mean, i have like, I'll buy him copies. I'm not giving those up, so it's kind of funny. It's
1: awesome. But, um, yeah, nice space. Yeah.
0: yeah, so I've got some space to do some shopping. Excellent. Um, so I wanted to talk about a few things before we get started on what we've just read. First one for me is um, the author Hanna Yanagahara, who's known for the book A Little Life and The People in the Trees, has taken over as editor-in-chief of the New York Times Style magazine. And it's actually really cool. Like, I feel like she's writing about writers, which is nice. So she has an article about the British author Bruce Chatwin, who's known for his um, travel writing. He's passed away now, but his book that was kind of famous was called In Patagonia. Mm. And you can just, I'm a big fan of the Style magazine. It doesn't come out very often, but, um, you know, it's not part of the weekly Sunday paper. I think maybe it's once a month or even every other month. But it's she's definitely changed the look of it and the feel of it. And um, she writes in the beginning in her editor's letter about the process of just creating something and how creating something is... You know, you don't know how, you, you think you know how it's going to end up when you begin, but it really never ends up the way you thought. So I thought that was an interesting explanation of the creative process. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really cool that she she used to work for Condé Nast. Is that mm-hmm. how you say it? The travel Nast. Yeah, I think so. And um, now she's the editor of the New York Times Style Magazine, so that's kind of cool. Well, oh, who's that on the cover? That's Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, oh yeah, duh. Yeah, okay, that, he looked very actor. different upside he down. Looks, well, he also just looks different because <laughs> I've never seen him so clean shaven and short hair in this picture. But and that was actually a good article about him, also. Um, so, and if any, if you haven't read her work, you know. Her books are not easy to read. They deal with tough subject matter, but she is a fantastic writer. So I highly recommend those two books as well. Yeah, A Little Life is still on my list to get to eventually. I have an extra copy for you to take anytime (laughs) you want. Jacob didn't take it? No, he didn't. He didn't even ask me, like, why do you have two of the same books? (laughs) And then we wanted to talk about... um, One of our, one of my author friends, I love him, Jamie Ford, who has several books out, but um, is, I think, probably best known for his book, The Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet. Yes. Some exciting news came out this week about him.
1: Yes. uh, He's been looking, I'm sure a lot of movie companies have come to him, but he's also been interested in having a film made, but was really waiting for, to find the right home, the right family to take it on, as he said, and so... George Takei yeah. is going to produce the film version of Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet, which is just so exciting.
0: Very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy for both of them. Like, yeah. I think it's going to be a really cool joint project. And I wonder if um, Jamie Ford will be asked to do this screenplay. He is, I think. He I is? think okay. i read that he is doing this screenplay. Oh, good. Yeah. That's great.
1: Yeah. So that's exciting. And I can't, for the life of me right now, think of George Takei's Broadway show Oh yeah, I can picture that it. Laura yeah. and I actually went to the previews of that, mm. which was really a great show. And yeah. so it deals with uh, Japanese, the internment of Japanese-American citizens during World War II. And George Takei's Broadway musical, I should say, dealt with that. And also Hotel on the Corner, of Bitter and Sweet. If you don't know that novel, it deals with a young boy's family who was put into internment camps. From Seattle, right, and and it goes back and forth in time to contemporary days, which was what the late '90s, maybe in Seattle, I think so. yeah. and then to the the time of the internment camps. So it's it's a beautiful novel, and it's one of those books that you feel like you learn a lot of history, yeah, as you're reading it. Because I I didn't know about the internment camps until I was in college, and yeah, in the in the late '80s. I saw a poster for a visiting guest lecturer who was coming. And I just saw internment camps, and I immediately thought Nazi Germany, but then I saw Japanese, and I thought, wait, what's going on? Um, So it was very shocking to me as something that was so major Mm -hmm. that wasn't taught in, in schools at the time.
0: Right and one of the interesting and exciting things I think about that novel is it is now taught in schools a lot and Jamie Ford I follow him you know on social media and he spends a lot of time in schools mm-hmm. talking to students who've just read it and things like that but I think it's great that there's going to be a whole new audience now for it of people who don't necessarily you know, get the chance to read it so a whole new audience of people who will understand the history of yeah, what absolutely. happened. Yeah. You know.
1: And that's a book that really caught on I think by word of mouth big time. Mm-hmm. I remember I was a sales manager at the bookstore when it came out and that Monday night we usually stay super late at the store to do all the switch outs for the new releases on Tuesday morning and I remember putting his book up and looking at it and thinking like huh I'm gonna take that one home and, and read that. And then a couple Days or maybe weeks later, he stopped by the store and did a a signing, a stock Mm. signing, and he was just delightful to meet. Because when authors do stock signings, at a bookstore, some of them breeze in and breeze out, and they barely even smile or make eye contact.
0: But he actually chatted with people. It was very that nice. It doesn't surprise me from having met him. I think he's a super friendly yeah. person. So absolutely. yeah. Cool.
1: And we got to see him at Book Expo, which was really right. nice.
0: Yeah, because his new book is Love and Other Consolation Prizes, I mm-hmm. think, which is still on my upcoming reads. Yeah, same here. <laughs> same here. So, yeah,
1: so congratulations to Dan yes. Ford for finding a good home for his forthcoming film. We'll keep you posted on release dates. I'm sure it's gonna be a couple years. All right. And then and other news we just wanted to briefly mention for those of you who follow awards, the National Book Awards long list for nonfiction just came out yesterday. And I'm really behind the times on current nonfiction. I used I feel like this year has just been such a blur. I used to keep my eye out a bit more but it's a really, it looks like a really fascinating list. I'll just briefly say them. Never Caught, The Washington's Relentless Pursuit of Their Runaway Slave, Ona Judd, by Erica Armstrong Dunbar. I did hear about this book when it came out. I believe the author was on NPR, and it sounds like a fascinating story of this the slave and then also the Washington's as slave owners hmm. in the time period as well. Next up is Locking Up Our Own, Crime and Punishment in Black America by James Forman, Jr. Next, The Future is History, How Totalitarianism Reclaimed Russia by Masha Gessen. Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders, and the Birth of the FBI by David Grann, And that is one that I have heard tons about. Hmm. I don't know if it's because I'm a mystery reader and this is... Been up for awards for mystery awards Mm -hmm. as well as this National Book Award, but I've heard just great things about it. No is Not Enough, Resisting Trump's Shock Politics and Winning the World We Need by Naomi Klein. Democracy in Chains, The Deep History of the Radical Rights Stealth Plan for America by Nancy McLean. The Color of Law, A Forgotten History of How Our Government Segregated America, by Richard Rothstein, The Blood of Emmett Till, by Timothy B. Tyson, and last but not least, Bunk, The Rise of Hoaxes, Humbug, Plagiarists, Phonies, Post Facts, and Fake News, by Kevin Young.
0: I don't think I've heard of a single one of those. That makes me feel terrible.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I don't know, it's been a fiction-heavy year for us or something.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, when I always, at the Guilford Library, go around the kiosk of the the new nonfiction, and that's, I feel like that's really how I look at it. And then I, I'm you know I'm a weekly reader of the New York Times book review, but mm-hmm. I'm sure some of those appeared in there, but I just didn't put the names to memory. But yeah. that's a great list. It'll yeah. be fun to see what happens with that.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely put the list
0: in, yeah. in the show notes. Yeah. If,
1: and if you
0: read any of these and you
1: have a favorite, let us know. It'll be yeah. interesting to see...
0: And then the fiction list will be coming out soon as it's well. It's coming out today. Okay, so it's maybe we'll talk about that. coming out today as right? we're recording, I believe. Okay, so we'll talk about that on the next episode. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. And then we have one other thing to talk about, which is we now have a Goodreads group. Yes, we do. Right? Good, <laughs> Good <Excuse> Reads, me. <laughs> Goodreads
1: discussion group. Yeah. I just, you could find us at Book Cougars. They're on Goodreads. And we started with asking people for their input on what they would like our next read-along title to be. If you're on Goodreads, we'd love your input on that. If you're not on Goodreads, if you don't know what Goodreads is, it's basically a social media site for people to keep track of their books that they're reading and books they want to read, books they have read, and connect with other readers. I know some people connect only with people they know in real life. Other people have thousands of friends.
0: Yeah, it's a really fun way to watch what your friends are reading, but also to, I mean, in a good and bad way, to add to your own TBR, you know, I really enjoy it. I mean, there are times where I'm scrolling through, there's an update feed where you can see all of your friends' activity, and there are times when I'm scrolling through and I think to myself, how can there possibly be this many books that I still don't know about? (laughs) Of course, you know, I mean, there's endless books, but... You know, so it is a really cool resource, and I really do like the use of the TBR, like, you know, when I'm at the library and I can't necessarily take a book that day, but I can put it in my list so I know next time I'm at the library to go there to my Goodreads and see what the name of that book was and maybe have a chance to read it. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I use it when I'm at a bookstore too. Mm-hmm. If I'm
1: going into the bookstore and I'm letting myself buy one book or I'm there for a specific book, if I see other things, mm-hmm. I'll add it to my TBR right there. Cause they actually have a barcode scanner, mm-hmm. which makes that very yeah. easy yeah. to do if you have a, a smartphone. Which yeah. I only know one person who has a flip phone. I know one person also. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I know two people, but one of them is a really old man. Who only carries it because he goes hiking in the woods, and his wife is like, "If you fall and break a hip, I don't want you laying there getting eaten <laughs> by animals." And then the other one is a young guy who is just wanting to be disconnected. Hmm. So, but yeah. obviously wants to be able to be in touch as well. So, well, Goodreads, Goodreads, check so, us out. Yeah, yeah. And, we'd and- love to have you. Yeah, I'm sorry, Emily, I just cut you off. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say we'd love to get your input on what book we should read next. We tossed out The Heart is a Lonely Hunter as a suggestion because that's a book that both Emily and I have wanted to read.
0: But a people are throwing out some really great yeah. suggestions out there. Yeah, really good ones. Yeah. So it's gonna now it's going to be hard to decide. And I think yeah. we will choose it by you know, early October because we're hoping to read it by December. Yeah. So that gives people a couple... months months. to you know get it and read it hopefully yeah so what
1: the plan is is i'm going to make a spreadsheet of all the titles that are mentioned and how many times people say yeah that's a good one because maurice right now is up there Mm -hmm. as far as people saying you know commenting and saying that that would be a good one yeah and then we'll kind of do it i guess maybe by popular vote or we'll have a top three and then emily and i'll see what we're in the mood
0: for Ultimately, Chris and I will decide, I hope. Yeah. So. We'll see. Great.
1: So, on to just read. Yes. What have you just read,
0: Emily? I have read The Twelve Lives of Samuel Hawley. Woo! I think I was currently reading it for about a month or two by Hannah Tinty. Um, this was an interesting book I, I think I fessed up the, in the, um, a couple episodes ago when I talked about it that I, I had to put it down and pick it up and put it down and pick it up with other books in between and I don't do very well with that with fiction and so mm. I think I probably would have enjoyed it a little more if I would just read it cover to cover without all the interruption but it's the story of Samuel and Lou Samuel is Lou's father he's a single father and the, um, Lou's mother Samuel's wife dies and there's a little mystery around how she died and then Samuel is also has is covered in various scars and there's some mystery around his different scars and so it's alternating chapters deal with these 12 gunshots that he's had that have left these scars behind on his body and so there's a lot of history obviously in those gunshots and he's lived a little bit of a a tricky life, I'd say, <laughs> and one can try to leave your old life behind, but sometimes it follows you, and so that's kind of what this story is about and um Lou is kind of left to her own devices to raise herself, but her father does care about her a lot and is doing the best he can, you know mm-hmm. and um and I did enjoy it. I didn't love it. I mean, it was well written it was I love alternating chapters, but I did get a little tired of the. Gunshot thing. <laughs> yeah. But then the end of the book really kind of redeems itself. I liked the ending a lot. So um so you might give it a read. Twelve lives of Samuel Hawley by Hannah Tinty. Well,
1: my book I read, uh, Glass Houses by Louise Penny. Yay! I did read that. And it's a nice kind of tie-in with that because one of the themes, and not just in this book, but Penny weaves it into other books in the series as well, is that murders are often not just a spontaneous. Prime of passion they're sometimes stemming back years mm-hmm. that is something that happened years ago that is just festering and festering mm-hmm. it always sends shivers down my spine when I read that because you just don't know yeah about your past right yeah. you can't you think you might have let go of your past or that that was in the past but other people that you affected
0: Who knows? Well, I also believe you can't ever really know somebody. Mm -hmm. So there's that, that it involves that too. So what I mean by that in this case is you might not, you might look into the eyes of someone and think that they have let something go, but instead, Mm -hmm. you know, they go home every night. Mad and angry, and you know, have the whole other life going on in their head that they might not be living in their everyday life as a librarian or something, you know, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. But Glass Houses is another
1: great addition to the series, the Chief Inspector gamache series.
0: Didn't I? I Thought I saw you post somewhere on social media that you were like pacing around the house. Oh my god, yes, the last 50 pages. pages. (laughs) I
1: was up late reading one night, and I was like, oh my gosh, I just cannot keep my eyes open anymore. So I thought, okay tomorrow morning. So, I got up, and I made a cup of tea, and I was, you know, going to be reading the last 50, and it was so intense. I actually did. I walked around... The living room, dining that's room, there reading, and my dogs were watching me. Like, you know, there used to be walking and reading on the treadmill, but for some reason, I didn't even think about getting on the treadmill to read. I was just pacing because it was so intense. That's
0: great. Yeah. I love. I mean, that's a great blurb right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How fun!
1: Really good, and that's by Minotaur Books, who they have just fantastic mysteries. I really enjoy it. If I see their, their logo on the spine of a book, I'm drawn to it oh, just to kind of to check it out because they have a really strong bench. Mm-hmm. Is that appropriate to say? Mixing sure. sports with literary publishers? Yeah. 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 I love
0: it. Well, I read Unraveling Oliver by Liz Nugent. I think I mentioned that I was looking for a book that I could just get lost in, and a Mm page-turner, and this was that for me. I think I read it in a day. It's not a very big book, um, and we got this from Book Expo. It's the very first... I'm going to read you guys the first sentence of the book. I expected more of a reaction the first time I hit her. Mm -hmm. I think... Did I even... I might have even read that one episode ago. So that... It really catches your attention. It also kind of made me want to close the book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, yeah. but I Forged Ahead. It's another book that's told in alternating chapters with different characters from different character point of views, which I really love. And I particularly love it when they title the chapter with the character name <laughs> because <laughs> my adult brain just appreciates it. <laughs> Um, it's a disturbing book. I mean, it is, you know, it starts with that scene of violence and then it too kind of deals with the idea of somebody who's living a life that isn't true. And Oliver, the main character, is an author of books being violent with his wife. And as you read the book, you know, so it starts in present day. And as you read the book, it unravels literally it's kind of like a social study of a person's life. Mm-hmm. I, I did not say that very clearly, but um, so it kind of unravels the story and weaves back and forth in time so you understand how he got to this point where okay. he's hurting his wife. So, you know, if that's a trigger for some people, you might avoid this book, but... Um, I did think that it was well-written. It was definitely a page-turner for me. And as I mentioned, this was her de- debut piece of fiction, and it went, was named Crime Novel of the Year by the Irish Book Awards.
1: Oh, very cool. Yeah. And who's
0: the Liz publisher? Liz Mugert. Oh, 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 the publisher is Scout Press. Scout Press. Okay, cool.
1: Yeah. Neat cover.
0: Yeah, I like the cover. cover. It has a close-up of,
1: like, a man's tie. He has a... A shirt and a tie-on, and then a sweater vest, possibly, but it's a real close-up, and it looks like a photograph that's been torn.
0: Mm-hmm. Eye, torn, ripped yeah. up, yeah. Yeah. And one of the blurbs on the back is, a page-turning, one-sitting read from a brand-new master of psychological suspense. I would second that, so. Right. So, Unraveling Oliver by Liz Nugent. All right, from Ireland. And yeah. my next book is from Australia.
1: I read Too Afraid to Cry. It's a memoir by Allie Kobe Eckerman. And she is an Aboriginal Australian. And this came out, when did this came out? In 2012. It's just been reprinted in 2016. And she's one of the winners of the Wyndham Campbell Prize, which...
0: So is cool. going on right now as yeah. we speak
1: at Yale. We'll be going to see her later today actually. She's on a panel that uh, Min Jin Lee is moderating. So, so exciting. When I was at the Yale bookstore slash Barnes and Noble last week for an event, I they have a display with the uh, Windham Campbell books and this one really caught my eye because one of the reading challenges i'm participating in as a book blogger is the australian woman writers challenge and i've been interested in it for the last couple of years and not exactly a gung-ho participant i shouldn't say that i'm an enthusiastic participant when i participate but there's so <laughs> many things that right. i'm not necessarily reading as much from australia as i'd like um but this is a it's You know what? It made me think a little bit of Roxane Gay's Hunger. Mm. Because it is a memoir of abuse and painful topics, but it doesn't point fingers. Mm. It's really tied in on her experience. And it's told in short chapters, and in between each chapter is a short poem. Usually just like a one-page poem. Hmm. That she wrote. That she wrote, yes. Yeah, she's a poet. I think she's known... Well, she's written novels as well as this memoir, but she is, I think, known mainly as a poet. Okay. Or was first maybe recognized as a poet. And it starts with hers at a young age and leads up to, you know, pretty contemporary times. And so she is adopted by a white family at a young age at, like, four. And apparently in Australia... From the late 1900s up until like 1970, for some, Australia had this program where they would take Aboriginal children and adopt them out to white Mm -hmm. families, especially kids who were uh, mixed race. I'm not sure what the appropriate term is to use, but Mm -hmm. they were... Forcibly taken from their mothers and their families as babies right there at the hospital being born or even, you know Older kids What I like about this memoir is that it starts when she's about four or five and It's written in a voice of a child, but as she grows older the language changes Oh, how fascinating. Yeah, and it's a subtle change, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't really notice it until you notice it kind of thing so I really like that. And as a young girl, I mean, here she has four or five, like she doesn't know it's her mom and her dad, like and her siblings. Right. But as she gets older, and then especially as she hits high school, you know, she realizes her difference and she knows now that she's been adopted away from her biological mm-hmm. mom, she starts to realize there's a gap in her identity. So some of this book is her her search for that identity and Finding Her Biological Family. Mm. It's it's beautifully written. I really enjoyed reading it. And and it is fairly, well, it's just over 200 pages, but as you can see, I'm yeah. kind of flipping it for Emily here. You know, it, it's not like it's huge print, but it's comfortable print, and there's decent margins. So I think I read it in like maybe two or three sittings. I think most mm. people could do the same. It's pretty quick read, and it's compelling reading. Well,
0: I look forward to hearing her this afternoon. Yeah, That's exciting. So my last book that I just read, I literally Can just... Can I back up? Oh, sure. I'm sorry.
1: Yes. I'm know. really sorry. I just ma- realized I looked down on my page and I made a note here that, um, you know, this issue of the Australian government taking Aboriginal children is not unique to Australia. The U.S. government mm-hmm. used to do this too. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say Okay, that. yeah. 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 Um, and so... I think that, well, the U.S. government stopped that practice earlier. But one of the books that I used to teach is Wynema, A Child of the Forest. The author is S. Alice Callahan that was written or was published in 1891. And it's considered the first novel in America written by a Native American woman. And I don't, you know, it's been 20 years since I've read the book. So I don't really remember a lot of the details. And I don't know, I, I know it deals with a Native American girl and a white Christian family. I don't remember the details or the particulars. But I just know that around that time period, I was doing a lot of reading about that situation in the United States and how Native children were taken from their families and placed into these foster families in an effort to eradicate the Native American population and to Christianize them. So it's a heinous practice that still goes on in parts of the world today. Mm -hmm. But I just wanted to point out that our own United States government used to also have a program that is just as heinous as Australia's.
0: Yeah. My daughter, Rachel, studied quite a bit about that because that was something that she's always been fascinated in kind of has feelings towards the native cultures, Mm -hmm. you know. And um, so I might look into getting that book for her for the holidays because I don't know that she's read that one. She's read quite a bit, but Mm -hmm. I've never seen or heard her talk about that one. So It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The last book that I just finished reading (laughs) literally at 3 o'clock this morning because I had a really hard time sleeping last night is called The Stuff That Never Happened by Maddie Dawson. Hmm. Maddie Dawson is a Connecticut author, and as a matter of oh, yeah. fact, in the acknowledgements, she thanks the librarians of the Guilford Library. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, because <laughs> quite a bit of the book apparently was written at the Guilford Library. So, um it's funny, this book appeared in my house. I have no idea where it came from, and so I took it back to our mutual friend Emily, who's one of my neighbors, because I thought for sure she gave it to me, and she looked at it and said... I don't think so, but it looks interesting to me, and I'm looking for a book. So she read it, and then about a month later, she and I were heading out somewhere, and she I get in her car, and she said, Here, I think you might like this book. And I said, <laughs> I think I gave you that book, and I have no idea where it came from. So I've been having a hard time getting into books. And this just, she said, it's a really easy read, and it was. It's about um, a woman, Annabelle, and her husband, Grant. And it kind of starts at a point in time where they're both in college, and they fall in love and then they, she takes you back and forth in time. The chapters are, um, have different dates in front of them and event, there, there's a little bit of infidelity that occurs and then eventually, you know, they're married and they have a long, long marriage and then her daughter is pregnant and is having trouble with her pregnancy and needs to go on bed rest So Annabelle has the opportunity to leave New Hampshire, which is where she and her husband Grant have settled, to spend time with her daughter while she's on bed rest, and lo and behold, runs into the gentleman that (laughs) caused a little strife in her marriage early on. So it's a quick read if you've been a mother and your children have gone off to college, because that's also the point where the book begins is when Annabelle, her son, has gone off to college. And she's standing in the grocery store like doesn't know what to do with herself and I could relate to that I mean there is a point when you've been all in with your kids and then suddenly they're gone and you think well what now Mm -hmm. you know so she kind of um it's a character study on that and you know what you do with yourself and you look at I'm sure I wasn't married when this happened to me but I'm sure then I've heard from so many of my friends and this novel is about that you kind of look at your marriage and say oh this You know, the main cast of characters that our marriage has kind of revolved around for a long time is now off into their own lives, you know, but they're in their own lives, but they're still an important part of who you are. But I think it gives you an opportunity to kind of look at your marriage, but also look at who you are as an individual Mm because you have more time to be circumspect. Is that the right word? Look at yourself. So, and then it also was, you know, her daughter, Sophie, who's pregnant Having her own issues with her own husband, and I think there's a point in time, I I don't know if this has happened for my children yet, I can't speak to how they feel, but as a child, an adult child, I remember the point when I looked at my own parents and was like, oh wow, you guys are humans, like yes. you have flaws and <laughs> You're shit. You're real people. <laughs> you <know? right> yeah. <laughs> so it also, there's also a point, a, a part of the book that deals with that, so you know, it's not highbrow literature, but I definitely enjoyed it and I I think she's a great writer and she has um I was looking at her website, she had another book that came out in twenty sixteen. I think this came out in twenty eleven or something like that. So So, The Stuff That Never Happened by Maddie Dawson. And maybe we'll run into her at the Guilford Library and Yeah, you never know. Is there
1: a picture on there?
0: There is. Well yeah. actually there was a picture on her website. There's oh, a okay. picture on here. Yeah. So
1: All right, man, if you're listening We'll be looking for you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, that's another great segue. That was... What was the title of that? What Never Happened? The Stuff That Never Happened. The Stuff That Never Happened. If we move on to our currently reading right mm-hmm. now, what I'm reading, or I'm actually listening to, is What Happened by Hillary Clinton.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, I just that's started exciting. listening to it.
1: It's really good. I It's... um full of complete sentences and coherent thoughts. <laughs> does she narrate it? She does. Oh, yeah. how fun. Yeah. That's so, great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. And Colleen um, Olsen, who is on our show... Last episode, mm-hmm. uh, read it. She's mm-hmm. already read it and enjoyed it as well. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. yeah. You know, Hillary Clinton, I know she's a, I think she's just been so vilified yeah. by people. Do I think she's, you know, a squeaky clean Girl Scout? What do I know? <laughs> but I, I do know I admire her mm-hmm. for the work she's done for mm-hmm. her entire life yeah. as a public servant. And I think she has been so vilified, and I do believe if she was a man, people would revere her like they do, like John McCain, or somebody who's been around forever. Yeah. So it's it's kind of humorous, it's very relatable. She's very relatable as she's reading along, talking about what it was like, because the book is about what happened.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What happened on the campaign trail she starts with pretty much that day, <laughs> the, like kind of like she talks a lot about the day after mm. um, and what that was like and what she did to kind of start the healing process. And so she goes back in time a little bit too to deciding on whether or not to run and that whole process wow. as well. And okay. so it's, it's it's very interesting. Yeah. Like I said, I just started it. It's I'm not sure how many hours long it is, but...
0: Oh, great. Well, more to come. It'll be fun to hear how you feel about it when you get to the end. Yes, and I
1: know she was on Rachel Maddow last night, because I happened to look at Twitter, and everything was hashtag Maddow, and all of these Hillary Clinton things came up, so I haven't um, listened to that yet, but I'm sure it must have been an interesting conversation. Oh, yeah.
0: Ooh, I'll look at that. I love both of them, so... Great. Well, I am currently reading a cookbook. I decided it's better to put cookbooks into the currently reading than the just read because I never completely read them, that's for sure. (laughs) And this is one, again, that our mutual friend Emily gave me to look at. Um, It's called Jack's Wife, Frida, and it's actually a restaurant in New York City. So look out, Aunt Ellen. Mm -hmm. I'm coming. Um, There's two um, locations for it, and... It's a really beautiful cookbook. I mean, the pictures are fantastic. The food, it reminds me a little bit of those Adelenghi cookbooks that I've talked about because it has an Israeli flair to it. And um, it has pictures of the restaurant. It has beautiful pictures of the food. It has pictures of the people dining in the restaurant. And the Jack and Frida, I'm sorry, (laughs) Oh yeah. <laughs> Maya and Dean, no, Jack's wife is the name of the restaurant and of the cookbook. Maya and Dean Jankalowitz, I don't know if I'm pronouncing their name right. Actually met at the restaurant Baltazar while they were working there, which is another fantastic restaurant, and they decided to open a restaurant together. So, it has a lot of great breakfast dishes. It has the very well-known dish shakshuka which if you've ever been to Israel, is this wonderful baked egg dish that they serve Mm -hmm. at breakfast. It has a really nice version of that using tomatillos, which is unusual. So it's like tomatillos are those green tomatoes, basically, um, that are good for making things like salsa verde. So it has a great breakfast section. It also has a drink section that's very interesting with like cantaloupe juice and mint lemonade and things. But one of the things I love about it is it doesn't have many ingredients. the re- The recipes don't have many ingredients. Simple cooking. That's nice. Which is so nice. There's um, a great recipe for matzo ball soup, and um, I could just go on and on about this cookbook. Oh, look at that! I'm just yeah.
1: she's flipping through the book, and I'm just getting hungrier <laughs> yeah. and hungrier. I looks mean, tasty.
0: really, really simple, beautiful food. So I highly recommend it. It this I think it would also make a really great gift. What are those. This is Peri Peri Chicken Wings. Mm. So, the other thing that she does in the beginning of the book, and I say she because they do um, credit the, um, the chef, Julia Jacksick, for the, the recipes. Mm-hmm. And at the very beginning, they have these different basic sauces that they say they just use in the restaurant all the time. Mm. And that'd be really nice to have in your own, you know, cupboards or in your refrigerator, like, um, a kind of aioli, which is a kind of like a mayonnaise, homemade mayonnaise, and then peri-peri sauce, which is kind of, um, like a tomato sauce. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's nice too. And then they also have something that I've been wanting to make for a long time that I think I might start with, which is a quinoa grain, hot grain bowl for breakfast, Mm, which I had, Rachel took me to a restaurant in Denver My daughter, Rachel, I should say, um, where I got a quinoa hot bowl one day, and I've been wanting to duplicate it because it had coconut, like obviously they'd use coconut milk and stuff, and they have a recipe for that in here, so maybe I'll start with that and report back to everybody. That's interesting. Laura just was doing
1: quinoa for breakfast. Mm. She loves it. Yeah, it's a
0: great protein.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, and and that's a new cookbook. Is it? It came out in March of 2017. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it is March 21st, 2017. It came out. So oh, Jack's nice. wife, Frida, a cookbook by Maya and Dean Jenkelowit.
1: Cool. Well, I'm also reading uh, away at the short stories of Willa Cather, which mm-hmm. I think I had said I was going to start. I was My plan was to read a story a day, and it's September 15th, and I've read two stories <laughs> so far. I don't. I just have a challenge with short stories. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. don't know why. I yeah. just really do. Um, I enjoy the two that I read. One of them was a reread. Yeah. We'll, see. we'll yeah. see. I think I'm just going to keep the book on my bedside, and mm. I'll read them as I read them.
0: That's how I do it. And that's what I've been doing with that food writing essays. Mm -hmm. It's on my bedside, and every once in a while I'll just pick one up and read it. And then I love it. It's just, I think it's picking it up. That's part of it, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I have short story books everywhere. I just
1: kind of feel like, uh, short story or my novel. Yeah. Like, it's just like the novel always grabs me and compels me to keep reading yeah well not always but usually
0: (laughs) the ones we stick with yeah Yeah.
1: and my thing is and I don't know you know stop me if I've already talked about this but when I finish a novel I usually don't start a next novel that same day yeah I usually like to wait a day well that's where short stories can be nice though yeah yeah just maybe that's what I did maybe that's kind of how that worked like I finished a novel, I read a short story, and then the next morning yeah. I read it. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. But that makes it kind of complicated. I think having too many stories in my brain on the same day yeah. Yeah. makes it challenging. And I, there are too many novels I want to read right now, yeah. and some nonfiction, yeah. that to read a short story every day, it's like really messing with my flow
0: (laughs) we don't want to mess with your reading flow chris no i think you have to just squeeze them in every once in a while yeah i agree it's tricky Mm -hmm. yeah i mean they have a definite beginning and end though which is nice but that doesn't necessarily mean you leave the story behind right you know it might stick stick with you exactly yeah yeah well more to come keep us posted and see how you do with that but i have the same mtk (laughs) mtk I'm um, reading a memoir called The Bright Hour, A Memoir of Living and Dying by Nina Riggs. And I don't want to get too heavy, but I did recently lose a friend to cancer. And so I am i can't decide. I started this book and I was like, you know, it might be too soon for me to be reading this book. Or maybe this is a good way, you know, to read this book will help me with my my own kind of grieving process. Mm-hmm. So I started it. But I'm not sure I'm going to go back to it. Yeah. It's gotten a lot of good press. I like her writing style. It's sad. I mean, she's young and is diagnosed with cancer and has, you know, she has young children. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Like I said, I started it and then I was like, ooh, this might just be too heavy. Right. Too heavy. Yeah. Too soon. Yeah. Yeah. And not my pursuit of reading about cupcakes, which I keep saying I want to do. So, but I, you know, for, for, I, you know, have a love of the memoir and I think it does historically reading memoir has helped me understand the world, you Mm -hmm. know, and understand people's place in the world and therefore my own place in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I think I will go back to it. I'm just not sure if this is the time for it, but I wanted people to know about it. So the bright hour, a memoir of living and dying by Nina Riggs. I'm also mm.
1: reading a... Well, it's a non-fiction mm. book. It's called Pro Blogger. Ooh. It's about blogging by Darren Rouse. And he's also an Australian guy. Mm. Um, but I've been listening to his podcast. He's had a podcast for quite a while. I think I first came across his blog, which is Pro Blogger. And I've just always really liked his advice. And he's very positive and very encouraging. So I've been reading his book as well. And right now I'm in the section that's kind of talking about what are blogs and why blog and different ways of blogging. Oh, cool. So I, he nice. started as a, a personal blogger, and his first blog it had dealt with, he's into the Emerging Church, which I'm familiar with having worked at the, a bookstore in Wheaton, Illinois, which is a big Christian center. And the Emerging Church people are not always necessarily welcome in established Christian communities Mm. because they are not hierarchical they are not necessarily biblical Mm. not i'm not like hugely well versed in this so Uh, but anyway his first blog was about that and photography and his life and blogging and then he eventually split things up a little bit and i just i follow his blogging advice and and i found some really good other like people he has on as guests are very helpful as well Mm. so if you're and i always think everybody should have a blog Because I think blogs are fun. Yeah. And I think it's just a really great way to share whatever you're passionate about or just an outlet. I've never been a fan of the straight diary kind of blog because I think you're better off processing stuff privately
0: (laughs) (laughs) before you're putting it out there publicly. sharing it to the world wide web. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So. But anyway, that's the other book I'm currently reading.
0: And for those of you who are maybe just joining us at this episode for the first time, Chris is a blogger, and she blogs at wildmoobooks.com. Yeah. So check it out. Blog. Yeah. Seven
1: years I, I've you been go, doing You go, girl. It. It's
0: been fun. Yeah. Yeah. So should we talk about Biblio Adventures, Chris? Yes. Let's do Biblio Adventures. you want to go first? Sure. I went to R.J. Julia and saw Joyce Maynard. She has a new book out called The Best of Us. And it's a memoir about her marriage and love affair to a man named Jim. (laughs) I'm a little partial to that name right now. I've got a Jim in my life as well. Um, But it actually kind of freaked me out a little bit because it's a memoir about how they fell in love, got married, and he, a year in was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died very quickly. And um, so I got a little tired of her talking about a dead gym. I have to admit there yeah. was a moment where I was like, stop! <laughs> <laughs> but it was at R.J. Julia. There was a surprised guest who was the author. Wally Lamb oh, well, that's joined neat. her because they're friends. They met at some writer retreat or award ceremony or something mm-hmm. in Paris. And, um, so he walked in and introduced her and then it was ended up being more in conversation a little bit, which was nice. Mm -hmm. And, um, she did read quite a bit from the book. She read from the prologue and then she read from the very end, which I thought was interesting Mm -hmm. at the very beginning. She did that. She's a very animated reader and she narrates the book, which I think is cool. So I might actually listen to it now that I've heard her read part of it. And she did say that um, when she was doing the narration for the book, she realized that she could do something a little bit different in the audio version because it's audio, and she decided to put their wedding vows in. And I can't remember if she said that she actually plays the video from their wedding, you know, or the recording oh, from the wedding. In the audio. Right, oh. or if she just reads them. I can't remember that part. But um, I thought that was kind of interesting. And... She said also, which I, th- I think is interesting, because he only died in June of 2016, which isn't that long ago, yeah. um, but she said that, she, I, I don't remember if this was, someone asked her this question, or if she just, it has been asked in the past, but um, that this book tour is not making her sad, that she kind of sees it as her last trip with him, mm-hmm. because one of the things they did, and really enjoyed together, was go on trips, and particularly he had a motorcycle, and they went on motorcycle trips. And they also had a little convertible that they got when they spent time in New Hampshire. They bought like this super cheap thousand dollar old convertible and tooled around New Hampshire, you know, in this convertible and then gave it to a kid like a valet as they were leaving to go back to California at the end of a summer. The kid was like, that's a cool car. And they said, here you go and threw him the keys, which I love that story. Um, but anyway, it's a, it's kind of a meditation on this love affair, but also what she really talks about that I could really relate to because I've been single for a really long time and I'm now as I've overshared with everybody, (laughs) you know, dating someone and you have, there's a hardness that you have, like a hardness around your heart is the way that I describe it Mm -hmm. because you've just had to kind of protect yourself. Partly because, you know, maybe you're not married because you got hurt, <laughs> yes. you know, mm-hmm. or maybe you just, you know, hardened yourself up to kind of face the world on your own. And so she said that the memoir really is about her love of falling in love with Jim, but it's also about how she really didn't know how to be married mm-hmm. because she had been married 20 years ago when she married him. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really lovely way of saying it, you know. Right. And so I do, I have not read it. I definitely want to read it, and I think I will probably listen to it now that I've heard her read part of it. And the other thing I do want to say about Joyce Maynard is I have never read her. She is a very prolific author. She's been really? around forever. Wow. She started writing when she was a teenager for Seventeen Magazine or one of those, oh, wow. you know, like teenage, teenage magazines. Teenage magazines, yeah. And I guess she's kind of well-known for a book, which I'm sorry, I don't remember the title of, but... Um, where she, a memoir about her love affair with J.D. Salinger. Really? Which mm. she wasn't allowed to write about for years and years and years. And I don't know if it was after his death or what, but she wrote a memoir that I guess was very controversial. Was there a big age difference
1: between them or something?
0: Or I don't know if it was that or just, just that he's you know he's known for being so private. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I didn't read up on it. But she also is a prolific fiction writer. So she's got tons of fiction, tons of nonfiction, and there were some serious fangirls in the audience. (laughs) I mean, it was hilarious. (laughs) I mean, I can fangirl an author, but I have never seen the likes of this. I mean, there were people who just were fawning, and the funny thing is, at the end, you know, RJ, I love RJs, but they, maybe they weren't prepared for the Wally Lamb entrance, so they didn't really have, like, comfortable chairs for them. They had these tall stools with no backs and so Joyce Maynard has got this hardback book that she's balancing and a cup of coffee. Oh, There's no table or anywhere for her to put it down so at the end she's like oh dear I've spilled some coffee on this you know new book that they're going to try to sell here tonight and this fangirl next to us was like I'll buy the coffee stained (laughs) book copy. (laughs) Emily and I kind of looked at each other like (laughs) <laughs> that might cross over to Stalker. <laughs> you know? So it was a very funny moment. Oh, but, wow. um, so it was a great event. I really enjoyed it. It was well attended. And she and Wally Lamb were both wonderful. And again, the name of the memoir is The Best of Us. That's great. Yeah, it was
1: fun. <laughs> I went to an event, too, since last time. Uh, it was at the Yale Bookstore. David Allen Richards, his, whose new book is Skulls and Keys. The Hidden History of Yale's Secret Societies, which just came out from Pegasus Books. And it was a really interesting talk. I, I got there maybe like 10 minutes before, and I they had a they had chairs set up and the podium, and next to the podium was a stack of the books. And I walked up there, and the bookseller and the author were there kind of talking, and I said, can I grab one of these, or are these just for display? I didn't want to mess up the display. He's like, oh, no, please take one, you know. So I took it, and it's a huge, thick book. It it's is. 832 pages. I was like, oh, my gosh. And I took it back, and the woman who was sitting in front of me, she looked, she's like, oh, my God, that's huge. She's like, wow, I had no idea. I was like, yeah, I didn't either. And so I was flipping through the table of contents, and kind of reading around, and I thought, I there's no way in hell I'm going to read 832 pages about secret societies at Yale or anywhere. Yeah. Um, so when the author went to go to the bathroom, I put the book back. <laughs> <laughs> and when I... And when I walked back to my seat, the woman in front of me said something like, yeah, I don't know if I want to read that either. And I was like, yeah, maybe Santa will bring it to me, you know.
0: It could be um, a nice library checkout, you know, and then you can right, read pieces exactly. of it. exactly, because yeah. it
1: is, it's kind of a history. And he also has, there's a chapter on like the literary interest in the society, I guess, like Hemingway mm. and Fitzgerald were interested in these secret societies. And apparently in Fitzgerald's novels, in stories there are a lot of references to these secret societies and it was a very interesting talk i have to say uh, i don't know much about the secret societies other than like george bush was in one at yale really so i, I know about it
0: from watching the gilmore girls <laughs> <and> that's all <laughs> right. i know
1: yeah um but he talked about the history of them and that really it was societies that the seniors kind of maintained and so senior year they chose the new members coming in and it was a junior juniors coming in who would be chosen Mm -hmm. by the seniors for their demonstrated leadership skills throughout Mm -hmm. the years that they've been there. And it was shocking to me the list of names he read of politicians, statesmen, literary figures, just movers and shakers in American society who've been members of the secret society. Mm -hmm. I mean, talk about, he called it an assembly line for leadership yeah, oh, that's interesting. Is one of the the phrases that he used. He is in a secret society himself, mm. which somebody in the audience asked if that was a key component in him being able to write the book. And he said, absolutely. He's like, mm. I would not have been able to write this book had I not been in a secret society because it gave him access to the other societies. They all keep scrapbooks and whatnot. So that was a big part of it. One of the things he's try he tries to do in this book is to make it look like it's, that societies have been kind of like a progressive movement hmm. that they admitted people of color and women ahead of the administrative ad, administrations curve to be more inclusive hmm. so he tries to present them as being like these uh, you know progressive organizations mm-hmm. Are they? Are they not? I'm not really sure. I think, you know, he has drunk the Kool-Aid. Right. So I don't really know how objective you can be when your life has been surrounded by that kind of stuff. I think he might be a little bright-eyed about some of the factors of being in a secret society. He kind of talked about Harvard being more inbred than Yale Mm -hmm. and Harvard's having, quote, problems with rape in their secret Mm -hmm. societies right now. Mm -hmm. But that's not happening at Yale. I'm like, oh, please. Yeah. You, and you have to look at that, too. Like, if it's being reported more at Harvard, not that that's a good sign, but that is kind of a good sign. Like, the more women report rape, right. that can be reflective on the willingness of the culture to look at the problems in its midst. Sure. To say that that's not a problem at Yale, I think, is very... Much wishful thinking, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. But he does say that these organizations should be remembered and kind of, uh, um, you know, saluted for embracing diversity because he says, like, after World War II, the societies became more democratic as the veterans started coming to school and demanding things be more democratic. And mm-hmm. then he said, after the 70s, when women were first admitted, they became less elite hmm. in their focus, which I thought that was really cool when he said it, but then the more I thought about it, I thought, hmm, is that like a backhanded compliment too, (laughs) that they're less elite now that women are there? Yeah. But then he did say that like the two Rhodes scholarships that were awarded recently to Yale alumni were women. In secret societies. So, but like fascinating stuff. Some of them have classic buildings that have no windows. They're very secretive, and there are rumors about what they have. Like, one society supposedly has Hitler's silverware. God. That is Wolf's Head, which is one of the secret societies. Another one is rumored to have the highest water bill in the state of Connecticut because of an indoor pool that they have. <laughs>
0: Um, I want to be part of that one. <laughs> so one of them has,
1: like, the crew flags from early days. And all of this kind of memorabilia was stuff that the school didn't used to care about. Oh. But now the school cares about memorabilia from back in the day. So
0: it's mm-hmm. kind of like
1: a tension with that. But I, I did think one of the, the good points he made was that the desire to be in a society, which is not always a no-brainer decision to make. Some people really struggle whether or not they want sure. to be a part. Yeah. Uh, But that the societies give people more a a sense of intimacy with a group of people. You know, here Mm. you are at this huge school and it's just so big Mm -hmm. that maybe being in a society gives people that intimacy.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Because one of the things that they do is they share these long biographies now with each other that are like PowerPoint presentations that could last six hours. Mm. I'm just like, wow. Mm. To stand up and talk about yourself for six Mm -hmm. hours? I don't think I'd have that much to say about myself. I'm not sure I'm that interesting. (laughs) Uh, It's really interesting. Um, But I did. I thought his talk was really interesting and a, a neat, interesting historical point. And this came up from a question that somebody tossed out in the audience about, apparently New Haven used to draw, New Haven slash Yale used to draw a lot of Southerners, historically, would come to the school. And it made me think about that book I read by Maria Somebody, I can't think of her name, who came up from Georgia to Connecticut in the 1830s as part of that whole thing. And all these people here she knew and Mm -hmm. that had Southern connections. But apparently Yale did have a bit of a anti-slavery sentiment at the time of the Civil War. So after the Civil War, a lot of Southerners quit coming to Yale. They quit sending their kids to Yale, and so they started going to Princeton. Mm. So Princeton Mm. had more of a Southern vibe for quite Mm. a while. But I guess initially, people would send their kids to Yale because this was the carriage center where carriages were made. Yes, that's true. So the family would come up here. They'd put their order in for the carriage. The carriage would be built. They'd get their kids settled at school, and then they'd drive their new carriage Hmm. back down to wherever they lived in the south so interesting historical stuff uh and like i said i don't think i will read the book but again it might be neat to check out from the library and read a chapter or two one of the funny things was was when i picked up the book and again it's 832 pages i was surprised by how light it is very light book Mm -hmm. and i don't know i know i talked about that patricia cornwell her ripper novel not novel it's a non-fiction book and how heavy that book was. Yeah. Remember that? Like, yeah. you even felt yeah. it, too, and it was yeah. just like, wow, that is a heavy book. So I compared the two, because, you know, <laughs> on Amazon, it gives you the stats of a book. So the Skull and Keys, it's 832 pages, and it weighs 2.1 pounds. Patricia Cornwell's Ripper book is 570 pages, and it weighed 2.4 pounds. Hmm. So it weighed more. And they're, they're similar in size, other than the, the thickness, but I, I did a little computing. So, um, Skull and Keys weighs 0.0025 pounds per page, <laughs> versus Ripper, which was 0.0042 pounds per page, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. So it's almost double in weight. Yeah. What is like what 300 pages?
0: because of the weight of that story
1: jack the ripper but both of them are weighted stories I think. yeah well totally right yeah yeah Yeah. so anyway that was just kind of a fun thing to do cool so anyway that was david allen richards skull and keys and happy to say that the bookseller who introduced him said that this was the kickoff of their fall event season and that lately they've seen a big uptick in the event attendance
0: Excellent. And when I
1: got there, the seats were kind of sparsely taken, and they had to bring in more seats and more chairs. And when I turned around, there was this huge crowd and, like, standing room only. That's great. Which was kind of cool. And one more funny thing that Richard said was the night before, he had spoken at the Yale Club in Manhattan, which is right Mm -hmm. next to the train station, and he had a good, you know, conversation and he was expecting lots of controversy there at the Yale bookstore. He thought for sure people would ding him like, why are you writing this book? Why are you revealing secrets? And all these hard questions. And nobody had, like, any kind of attack-like questions. And he was so surprised. He actually mentioned it two or three times. Like, I can't believe, like, no one is kind of busting my chops on this. Hmm. So. It's almost like he's inviting it.
0: <laughs> right? He's, I know. He's I, he on was, the he Yale was ready for a fight, yeah. you know? So it was interesting. <laughs> All right, upcoming adventures. We are heading off in T-minus 10 minutes. Oh my gosh, we gotta roll. (laughs) Yeah, we do. Wow. To the Min Jin Lee um, event at New Haven's Public Library. Yes. And then next week we have the Guilford Library Sale. Yeah, that's gonna be exciting. I'm looking forward to that. And if all goes according to plan, our plan on Friday is maybe to do our first Facebook Live from the library sale. We'll We'll see see how how that goes. goes. (laughs) More to come on that. upcoming reads oh my gosh i have a few do you have any
1: you know what i i'm gonna be reading a a scary novel next i want to read you know for the whole rip challenge i talked about before i'm not really sure which one i'm going to choose yet but it's going to be one of my scary slash dracula
0: slash vampire type books I feel like it has to get cold out. It's like, it got really hot this week. It doesn't seem, it seems like it has to get cold well, and you have to be under a blanket with a fire and the freaked fog out. This, the fog this morning Oh, that's helped. true. It yeah, the fog foggy. this
1: morning was awesome. Yeah.
0: We did have a fire oh, last okay. week when it was really kind of cool yeah. one night, so that Good. was great. So yeah. it's coming. What you got? I have three upcoming reads and I'll talk about them quickly since we have to run. So, and these were all books I got from Book Expo, actually. One of them is a memoir by Anne Hood, and for those of you who recognize her name, she wrote the novels The Book That Matters Most that I talked about on an early episode and The Knitting Circle. Mm. Um, but this is a memoir called Morning Star, and it's about growing up with books. Very short little memoir, yeah, so cute. more to come on that. And then Sing Unburied Sing, which is the new novel by Jasmine Ward. I loved her book Salvage the Bones, um, which won the National Book Award. Mm. She also wrote... Um, I think it was a memoir called Men We Reap. Um, I'm excited that she's back to writing a novel, and I cannot wait to crack the binding on this one. And then the third one is one that I'm not quite sure about. It's called My Absolute Darling by Gabrielle Talent. Or maybe it's Gabriel. I'm sorry, because it's a man. Gabrielle Talent. I'm This book is being talked about a lot, but it also, I heard Roxanne Cody, who's the owner of R.J. Julia's, on her podcast talking about how at the bookstore they're wondering if they should put information about it's like it's deals with a lot of violence and i'm not sure what i don't know if it's sexual violence that's what it kind of maybe makes me think of when i read Uh the back of it and Roxane Gay wrote about how much she wanted to love this book, but then she felt like it was a little bit too much, the violence in okay. it, which is a lot for her to say since her novel was so graphic with rape and things like that. So uh, so more to come on this one. I can't decide. I'm going to start reading it and see how I feel about it. So okay. I'll report back.
1: I've been seeing that one a lot that yeah.
0: uh, you're showing the cover. It has like pine... Well, this kinda... was the one that was in that buzz panel that we went to at Book Expo. Wasn't that like the five or six yeah. books that were people were mm-hmm. buzzing about? Yeah, the editor's choice yeah. thing or whatever. And um, we do have to go. I thought I could read what the editor wrote. Do you want me to do that really quickly? Sure. Okay, the the front of My Absolute Darling, the editors write a little something, because this is an arc. And it says, Dear reader, this is a book that will take you over completely. From the arresting language to the striking and original use of nature to the many moments that will make you ache for its 14 year old heroine, My Absolute Darling is not just an exciting debut, it is a brilliant, immersive, all consuming read, an entire world of a book. Turtle Alveston is bound to go down as one of the most unforgettable characters in recent literature a girl who has grown up isolated on the northern California coast, who knows every plant and creature in the forest. Turtle is also in the thrall of her controlling father until her first experience of real friendship allows her to imagine something different. As Turtle fights for her own soul through acts of physical and emotional courage, we watch heart and throat as she struggles to become her own hero and in the process becomes ours as well. There is darkness along the way, but ultimately this is a survival story with a heart-wrenchingly redemptive arc, a love story in more ways than one. In a world where books are routinely described as wonderful and astonishing, and even in masterpieces when they're nothing of the sort, (laughs) this one is all those things. (laughs) Sincerely, Sarah McGrath, VP Editor-in-Chief of Riverhead Books. Very cool. So, we need to go. Thanks for listening. And happy Happy reading!
1: reading. Thanks so much for listening to The Book Cougars with Emily Fine and Chris Wallach. If you have questions or comments, please feel free to email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Book Cougars. Please consider leaving us a review on whatever app you use to listen to us. It can help other listeners find us. Thank you.